All right, so cation exchange capacity, CEC. Uh, we mentioned it briefly uh, during the first section, and so we're going to hit it hard uh, this section. So CEC is a measurement of the soil's ability to hold positively charged ions. So it's a very important uh, soil property influencing soil structure stability, nutrient availability, soil pH, and the soil's reaction to fertilizer and other amendments. That's a long definition. So basically, CEC refers to how many charged particles can be captured by the soil and exchanged, and exchanged elements by forming temporary bonds or attractions with different nutrients such as nitrogen or potassium in the soil and then to hold these nutrients in place until the crops need them. So, if you go ahead and add a fertilizer to your soil, uh, let's say nitrogen for example. Nitrogen is very water soluble and so if you don't have the ability to hold it in your soil, something in your soil to hold it, whether that be taken up by the plant uh, or held uh, by the soil itself, uh, you will lose uh, that uh, bit of fertilizer very quickly. So if you do a yearly soil test, which you should, uh, your soil test uh, will be able to tell you uh, what your CEC is uh, for your soil. So you want to pay attention to that part of the soil test. So CEC is the holding capacity of your soil. It's a measurement of the type of clay in your soil and the amount of clay as well as the amount of organic matter in your soil. Two very important uh, pieces of information there. So to break it down even further, make it simpler, uh, here's a, a visual demonstration of that. So if your CEC is 16, uh, 16 times 10, that's 160 pounds per acre. So, in this example, uh, if your soil test tells you that you already have 40 pounds of nitrogen in your soil, you don't need to add 160 pounds of nitrogen to your soil. You need to add 120 pounds to your soil. And another thing that's important uh, is you don't want to add all the fertilizer for any crop immediately at the get-go or immediately in the middle or immediately when you see that it's starting to set fruit. Your plant can't handle it. Most people eat somewhere between two to three meals a day. Now if I told you tomorrow morning you have to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner all at the same time, it ain't gonna happen. Same thing for your plant. Uh, it may be available for your plant, your plant may want to, but at a certain point your plant says, okay, I've had enough, I need to digest the nutrients that I have. So how can you increase the CEC of your soil? Or how can you increase the CEC? That is, you increase the organic matter. You reduce your tillage, you keep the ground covered, uh, and you keep roots in the soil. You also use manures and compost, and you keep adding it to your soil and allowing it to be worked in. Remember, it's all these little, little additions to your soil uh, that the soil organisms are able to use, digest, break down, 
and that is what helps to build your soil. Now, sometimes you may have a high uh, CEC. Uh, that means sometimes it's too high, so you want to decrease that. So increase your soil porosity. Uh, allow the nutrients to be able to flow through your soil and be exchanged for other nutrients and whatnot. You want to have a, a symbiotic relationship going on there. Not, one, not the plants holding on to too much, not the soil holding on to too much. A free exchange uh, needs to be happening under there. So you can increase the calcium levels in your soil um, and you need to open up your soil if they're compacted. You can do that with cover crops. You can do that by the addition of organic matter. Uh, adding lime uh, to your fields uh, according to the recommendations in your soil test uh, can be a good way uh, of, uh, of opening up your soil. Uh, compacted uh, soils can benefit from tillage radishes as well as cereal cover crops. And we're about to start talking about cover crops, so we're going to go into that a little bit more. Uh, as was mentioned during the Q&A, uh, you can also tile your field. Uh, and that just basically means you dig a ditch, trench, you put in a, a pipe in there, and it helps to drain uh, excess from your fields. Uh, you can do that for your garden areas as well. Um, if you want to, but generally speaking, this is something that's done on larger fields. Okay, I keep repeating this uh, throughout this presentation. Over time, it takes time for this stuff to happen. So be patient, do your research. You know, when you get home, uh, if, unless you do it here at the conference, uh, go on to Google, go on to Amazon, go on to YouTube. Uh, and start looking up, you know, videos, books, papers, presentations uh, on soil health. Uh, they will greatly benefit you uh, if you read them and then put into practice uh, what they're talking about. All right, so we've already talked a bit about organic matters, um, you know, crop residues, animal manures, uh, compost, you know, you have your cover crops, your green manure, Green manure basically just means you've terminated a cover crop by mowing it. Uh, and so then you just incorporate the mowed cover crop uh, into your soil. Uh, the quickest increase to obtain sources uh, for your organic matter uh, that are high in carbon are uh, compost or semi-solid manures. Because uh, usually you have some, some carbon uh, mixed in there uh, with the manures. Okay, now you've heard me say a few times today that you don't need to incorporate manures, compost, etc. into your soil. Now you can, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but it's a step that you don't necessarily have to take. And my reasoning for that is going to be evident here in a minute. And that is because I told you that we're all farming billions upon billions of soil organisms in the soil. And this is what earthworms are doing. Earthworms, uh, we're probably all familiar with them. Uh, and if you increase your organic matter, uh, you build a habitat that is welcoming uh, to them, they will definitely come. So you can tell this is a, uh, 
a field up in Canada, I believe it was Quebec, uh, that used to have corn on it. No, I don't know French, I just know what this video is showing. So you can see you've got cover crop residues on the soil, corn crop has now been harvested, and this is at night. There you see an earthworm. Okay, so basically what hopefully was visible here, I know the lighting up on the screen isn't that good, um, it's that the earthworms are grabbing the organic matter uh, that is lying on top of the soil. You can see this one here, it's pulling it down into its burrow. There you go. So the soil uh, is working to heal itself. It's grabbing what it needs for food and it's pulling it down into the soil. Now the earthworms are going to be helping to break down uh, some of this corn matter as well as all the microscopic uh, organisms inside the soil. So if you want to see all 11 minutes of that video, uh, go to YouTube, um, Worms Working in the Field. Okay, so that's why I keep on saying that, uh, you know, if you can limit your tillage, um, the soil will take care of itself, uh, as we saw in that, in that video there. You don't need to incorporate uh, organic matter into the soil. The soil will take care of itself. All right, fertilizers and soil testing. So Confucius said that the best fertilizer for any soil is the footsteps of the farmer. So what is he talking about there? Well, you got to get out there and you got to take a look at your fields. You got to take a look at what's happening. Uh, if all you do is like, okay, so I've planted, I've planted my tomatoes. They're going to be producing tomatoes in 60, 70 days. So I can take a vacation and I'll come back in 60, 70 days and I'll go harvest my tomatoes. No, you're not going to be doing that. You won't have tomatoes out there. Um, so you need to be intimately familiar with your garden, with your fields. Get out there, walk it, take a shovel, dig into the soil, even if it's not planting time. See what's going on in there. See what the soil is telling you. Uh, look at the weeds that are growing. Uh, look for any problem areas, especially after a rain. You know, is the, is the water ponding up? Um, how are the plants looking? Are they looking vibrant and green? Are they a little yellowing? You know, what's going on here? Um, do a soil test. Uh, before you try to do any amendments with um, fertilizers or anything like that, find out what's already in your soil and what needs to be done to it. So for me, uh, I'm based in Tennessee, so I use Waters Agricultural Lab. They have uh, sites in Georgia and in Kentucky. Now the beautiful thing about soil testing, uh, once you do your soil test uh, and send it into them, usually a few days after they receive your soil, you will get the results emailed to you if you provided them with an email address uh, and they'll give you the entire breakdown right there. You could also call them and ask for uh, more detailed explanations or if you have questions, you can also call the labs. Uh, universities like the University of Florida, University of Tennessee, uh, they also offer uh, soil testing, uh, so that's another option uh, for you if you want to do that or go that route as well. All right, so how do you do a soil sample? Uh, you can go ahead and you can get a soil probe. Um, 
You can find them online and you can do it that way. Or you can use your trusty shovel. So go ahead and go out into your field. Now, if you're, I'm going to break this down into a, a more simple uh, definition. So let's say that you have four different fields. You're going to grow onions in one field. You're going to grow taters in another field, corn, wheat in, in your other two fields. So for each field, you're going to get a bucket and you're going to do a zigzag soil sample across the field. Um, you're going to go down to about a depth of one to six inches. You want to ignore the soil, the organic matter or whatnot that's on the very top layer of your soil. You want to discard that. Do not include that with your soil test because that will screw the results. That first inch is not what six inches down and six inches down is what you're going for because generally speaking, that's the depth that your roots are going to be uh, as they have penetrated the soil. So one to six depths for a garden or crops, uh, for lawns and pastures, if you want to do soil tests for that, um, the upper six inches uh, is, is good. Remove plant residue. Trees, fruit crops, um, you can do two different samples, one zero to eight inches, the other one uh, eight to 16 inches deep uh, because as you know, your tree roots are gonna be going down deeper. Once you have taken soil samples from your field, you want to mix all the samples together from that one field, not all four fields together, just the one. Uh, take about two handfuls of soil, uh, put it in a bag, mail it to the lab. So you're going to do that four times if you have four fields or if you're going to be growing different areas of your garden, different things, do that for the different areas. But it doesn't take a lot of soil to do a soil sample. All right. Fertilizing. After you've gotten your soil sample back, or not your soil sample back, after you've gotten your soil test result back uh, and you figure out what you need, uh, then you can start adding uh, fertilizers uh, to uh, your soil or amendments to your soil. They don't have to be uh, synthetic fertilizers. Now, you can, you can go online and you can look up, you know, what are the requirements for a lot of different crops as far as their nutrient needs. A lot of places will break down uh, what the nutrient needs are for each individual crop, and that's what you really want to pay attention to. Um, I'm going to go general here. For a lot of our vegetable crops, does the fruit come first or the leaves? The leaves come through first, yes. So you want to focus on the nutrients that are going to help the leafy part of the plant grow first. Once that plant begins to put on flowers, once that plant transitions to fruit production, your nutrient needs for the plant may change. So that's something that you want to keep in mind there. So generally speaking, uh, especially if you're growing greens, um, nitrogen is going to be uh, one of the primary nutrients that your plants may need. And then if we're talking like tomatoes or something else like that, uh, you may need to switch to a magnesium fertilizer uh, at that point. But again, refer to your soil test. Okay, cover crops. Now, uh, cover crops, you know, if you're wanting to restore 
and maintain your soils. Cover crops are one of the simplest, easiest things you can do for them. Um, a couple years ago, uh, I gave a presentation here talking about cover crops. Uh, it should be up on Audioverse uh, underneath the Ad Agra. I think that was in Texas three, three years ago. So if you want a really in-depth conversation about cover crops, you can go on there and, and learn more about them. But to keep things short and simple today, uh, your covers, they do a vast amount of things uh, for, for your ground and your future crops. They help keep the moisture in the soil. They help keep the soil warmer or cooler. When it's baking hot outside, uh, if we were to all go to the beach, I know this is Florida and I don't usually think of the beach in wintertime, but if we were to all go to the beach in the middle of summertime and we go swimming, we go playing in the water and, okay, I've been out on the beach, I'm tired now, uh, I'm going to take a break. And you sit down, you put your towel down on the ground, you sit down on it, you fall asleep. What's going to happen in a couple of hours if you don't have shade? Yeah, you're going to look like a lobster that's been cooked. Um, and that is exactly uh, what happens to our soil. Uh, if you do not have armor on your soil, some type of coverage on your soil, uh, be that plant residue, like what we just saw in the video with the earthworms, they had uh, corn residue on the soil. Uh, if you don't have uh, a canopy of crops and cover crops covering your soil, uh, your soil is going to get very, very hot. Uh, and if it gets too hot, as we see here on the screen, um, you know, for every 10 degree temperature increase between 40 to 80 degrees, the activity of soil microbes will double. Now, there's a reason it stops at 80. If it goes much higher than 80 degrees, uh, your soil cannot function. It just gets way too hot. The same thing is true if it goes too much below 40 degrees. It gets too cold. Uh, and so you'll find that on your top layer of soil, your microbial activity stops. Your microbial activity does not stop a few inches under that, you know, maybe six, six inches under, uh, under that top layer. Your microbes just move down a story and they keep on functioning and working down there which is generally out of the range of your plant's roots, and so they do no good for your, for your crops. So you want to keep them at a, at a good accessible level. Uh, covers, uh, they scavenge nutrients uh, that would normally be lost. You know, usually you'll hear, put down cover crops after your main season is over. Put them in the wintertime, the fall, uh, and they're going to be holding the nutrients, they're going to be holding your soil in place, and then when you terminate your cover crops, um, all those nutrients will be stored in either the plant itself, the plant matter that is now on top of the soil, or it will be held in the roots. So very easily accessible to the for the microbial activity and your new plants that you're planting. So remember, everything that we're doing here is a holistic approach to working with nature. Now, uh, I had a question uh, during the first presentation about terminating cover crops, uh, especially if you have them on like a 30-inch bed. 
you have a couple of you have a couple of different options here, and this is regardless of whether you have beds or whether you have just a big big field that you've put into cover crops. Um, you want to think about how easy it's going to be to terminate said cover crop. If you put down something like cereal rye, heaven help you, that stuff will get up to about six, seven foot tall, and so you've got a lot of biomass, and that's wonderful. Your soil, you know, may need that amount of biomass. Uh, but having to cut down a field that's six to seven foot tall can be a chore, especially if you don't have the right equipment. Uh, so if you're looking at a garden space, ignore your, your cereal grain, cereal grasses. That stuff uh, can be a headache. Instead, concentrate on some of your lower growing uh, covers. Uh, they may be something like tillage radishes, uh, which... They form a massive hard pan penetrating root that goes deep into the soil, opens up your soil. And if you live too much further north than Tennessee, 90% of the time they will winter kill. So when it comes time to plant your garden in the spring, your cover crop is either dead or decaying. And so it's very easy to incorporate that into the soil and plant your, your cash crop. Another option would be to put down um, white clover. Uh, white clover, uh, we've probably all seen it growing out in different fields or lawns or whatnot. It doesn't get tall, uh, but it spreads out from its main root nodule, um, and it, it helps to cover the soil. It's a nitrogen scavenger. Uh, a lot of times when you hear about different cover crops, the cover crop itself is not adding any nutrient to the soil. It is instead capturing nutrients that are around, the, around it in the soil and holding it for your coming cash crop. All right, so use your covers before, during, and after your cash crops. So for me, if I have any type of space, open area in my fields that I am not currently growing a crop in, I'm putting a cover right there. It may be, okay, so I'm planning on putting my brassicas in this spot of the field in the fall, and it's the spring. I've just, I don't know, I've just pulled out some other type of crop. I put it in a cover crop for the summer. You know, that could be um, cowpeas, that could be rye, that could be sorghum sudan grass, whatever, whatever it is that will tolerate the heat of a, of a Tennessee summer. And then about midsummer, I go ahead and terminate it, work it into the soil, and then put in my covers. Um, when I first started doing cover crops, I was like, oh, great. So I'm just going to go out and get rye and scatter it across my field, and I've got a cover crop in. Okay, that's wonderful. That's great. You're helping the soil. But remember, nowhere in nature are you going to find a single stand of something only. You're always going to find two, three, five, six other species of stuff plant life growing in that same area. So we want to mimic nature as much as possible. Uh, so generally speaking, you know, for a fall or winter uh, cover crop, you know, I'm putting down uh, rye, wheat, peas, uh, tillage, radishes. Uh, sometimes I'll do oats, although oats will winter kill fairly early. Um, so I'm, I'm always doing a mixture. Clover is another good one, although it can get a little pricey if you're trying to do large areas, so smaller amounts of that uh, go better. 
So mimicking nature, mimicking the diversity that we see um, outside is, is definitely what we want. Now, sometimes with cover crops, um, especially if you're trying to integrate cover crops and cash crops together, uh, you will have people uh, tell you, no, you don't really want to do that because the cover crop could tie up nutrients, it could tie up water, uh, different things like that. Well, my answer to that would be take a look outside in a native grassland or trees and you know in a forest uh you're going to see plants growing together sometimes very closely sometimes a little bit farther spaced apart uh, but they're all growing and they're all doing fine um so that's usually not your issue that may be a symptom of an issue that you're having uh, but it's definitely not the the main issue there so experimentation is going to be one of your best friends uh when dealing with anything in farming, um, but especially uh, with cover crops and what works uh, for your situation. Now, terminate your cover crop before it goes to seed. Uh, if you're dealing with cereal, cereal cover crops, uh, you're going to want to do this before the milky dough stage. And this is when the kernels start forming uh, on the cover crop. Uh, you want to terminate it before they go hard, before that seed becomes viable to be dropped by the plant and then that cover crop becomes your next big weed problem <laughs> not fun uh, so termination can be mowing it can be crimping it can be a chemical burn down uh, or it could be tillage any of the above are, are viable options but you have to do it at the right time leave the residues in the field and feed the biology my time is quickly running away from me so i'm just checking to see how many more Notes I have, okay, I think we can include this video. All right, so that was, that was the video that I wanted to show, um, or that I, I referenced, I should say, uh, a little bit earlier on today. All right, so hopefully that, that clears up. Uh, if there was any uh, misunderstanding about what I was talking about, uh, slowing down on the tillage, that is what I was referring to. Uh, nature uh, is a very interesting, complex system, uh, and it, it knows how to take care of itself and feed itself uh, very effectively. I had a friend of mine, uh, I went to visit him at his farm, and he's like, you know, I had the strangest thing happen the other day. And I was like, oh, what was that? And he says, well, I, uh, I saw a piece of paper had flown out of the truck, you know, a piece of note paper. And... I was like, uh, I'll, I'll come back to that. It rained, you know, and the paper got wet and it got mashed down. It was a bare patch of ground. And he's like, and I, I kind of just ignored it. Uh, and he says, in about the space of a week, that paper disappeared. And I was like, what do you mean it disappeared? And he's like, it just, it got absorbed into the soil. And he showed me the place where it was. And sure enough, you could see uh, the remnants of the paper quote-unquote, chewed up, torn up, uh, and they were being, or that piece of paper was being absorbed into the soil by the soil organisms in that location. Uh, and so that, to me, that, that made a profound impact on me being able to see something like that. All right, weeds. Everybody's favorite topic. 
Now, you're probably wondering to yourself, why on earth is he talking about weeds in a soil health presentation? Uh, and that's because weeds are very important when it comes to your soil health. Um, remember that first question I asked you at the very beginning uh, of this presentation? Do you know that weeds are indicators of your soil health? Now, the Anglo-Saxon definition for the word weed is a little herb. And generally speaking, we think of herbs as something that can help us. You know, oh, I'm not feeling the best, so I'm going to have a cup of peppermint tea. Well, peppermint is an herb. You know, there's multiple other herbs that uh, you can probably think of. So if herbs help us, they help heal us, weeds, by that definition, are helping to heal the soil. So the weeds tell you what's going on with the soil. Now, if you have a very dry patch of soil, you're going to have a certain type of weed growing there. If you have a wet patch, you will have different types of weeds growing in that wet patch of soil than you do in other places around your farm. Um, after doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying, I have, I have multiple weed books at home, I can go out into my fields and I can look around. It's like, okay, so I've got dock growing there. Uh, that's going to be a wetter area because the dock is a, a weed that enjoys more wet, moist soils. It's also a pain to get out. Um, but, you know, different things like that is telling me, okay, this area is wet. I probably shouldn't touch it in the spring. Wait until maybe late summer, midsummer when things dry out. Maybe I can then touch that part of soil. With weeds, they penetrate the soil very deeply. They are nature's hard pan breakers, if you will. They're able to grab and access nutrients that are not available for our crops at a very low depth in the soil, and they bring up those nutrients. The weed plant itself, just like cover crops that are holding nutrients in them, your weeds are doing the same thing. You know, there are people now that when they weed, excuse me, they do not take the weeds and throw it away. They don't throw it in the yard, excuse me, uh, to get mowed up or, or decomposed out there. They pull up the weed and they lay it back down in their pathways. They lay it down next to their, their plants and they let the soil reabsorb those weeds and access the nutrients there. You can also take weeds and if need be, uh, you can take them, make a pile of them, burn the weeds and then take the ashes from those weeds and scatter them around in your soil. They will also contain the nutrients that were held in the weeds. So different things uh, that you can do there. So weeds are not your problem. They may seem like it on the surface, no pun intended, uh, but they are the indicators of the problem. So again, do your research. Learn what nature is trying to tell you and then follow that information. The real reason that weeds are coming up is because there's a problem in the soil. So poor soil conditioning is the reason why you have different types of weeds. So one, let's see if I can redeem myself from making that uh, roundup comment earlier. <laughs> so if you're wanting to reduce the amount of herbicides that you use, whether you're a small garden, whether you've got a, you know, a big, big farm, uh, you can put two gallons of molasses and two gallons of calcium. You can mix them together and you can apply it to your field, whether that be drip irrigation, whether that be um, overhead irrigation. 
Uh, and this is specifically to deal with your soil. Never mind the plants that may be growing there or will be growing there. The reason you want to do this is because the molasses, the molasses uh, is a carbon source. And that's going to be feeding. That's going to be activating the bacteria in your soil. You need to feed your livestock. The calcium helps to change the soil profile. Now, I don't like cold weather. Tennessee is probably the furthest north I'm ever going to move to. Now, if I don't like cold weather, I'm probably going to move south into a more hospitable climate. That's the exact same thing you're doing to your soils. You're creating an inhospitable climate for your weeds. You're not going to kill your weeds. If you have a field of weeds and you do this, uh, your weeds are going to say, thank you very much, have a nice day, and they're going to keep on growing. But then the next crop, as you continue to change the soil profile, it's going to change the ability of the weeds to grow, and your plants are going to enjoy it uh, much better. So even though probably we all hate to go out and weed, weeds are actually some really good friends of ours, uh, and they can be indications of what's going on beneath the ground. All right, soil pH, and then we're going to be done for the day. All right, so soil pH, that's an indication of the acidity or the alkaline that is in your soil. Now, pH can go from 0 to 14. That's the range of the measurements that it can go. Uh, generally speaking, most plants want a pH somewhere around 6.2 to 6.5. 7 is right in the middle, so a pH range in the 6s uh, is pretty good. Now in Florida, uh, the pH is usually 6.1, but it does vary uh, from place to place based on the parent material of the soil. So again, do your soil test to really dive deep into uh, your specific pH. pH is constantly changing. You have a number of different factors uh, that can contribute to the change uh, of soil pH. You know, you can have compaction uh, that can raise pH uh, as well as soil moisture. Uh, pH is an indication of the hydrogen present in your soil. So think of pH as an energy flow. You know, a low pH means your nutrients are flowing very rapidly through the soil. Uh, so it may mean that your plants can't capture, it can't grab onto the nutrients as it's streaking past it down I-75. Now, uh, higher pH is kind of counterintuitive, but it means that the nutrients are flowing slower. And so that means that they can be more easily captured by the roots of your plants. Um, so again, we, we return back to what I was talking about earlier, calcium and magnesium. You know, in the soil, calcium, calcium is an element that causes the soil particles to move apart. You want that. But at the same time, magnesium is something that helps the particles draw together. So if your nutrients are passing by your plants a little bit too fast, add more magnesium. If they're going kind of slow, add some more calcium. It's about finding the balance, finding the right ratio that your soil needs and thereby your plants need. Now... Having said all of that, um, nature will take care of itself. Uh, in, my, in the class that I teach uh, on agriculture, uh, I, have a, I have a friend that comes in and talks about urban agriculture. And she was talking about how uh, a lot of times 
in cities, you'll have vacant lots. And it's interesting to notice how in these vacant lots, if nature is left alone, nature will start to take over those vacant lots and you will see a change in the type of plant growth that is happening in those vacant lots as the soil repairs itself. The exact same thing is true for your farms. Uh, if you take a field out of production because the weeds are too bad, the soil's too bad, etc., etc., if you were to do nothing to that field, just leave it alone for years, it'll slowly repair itself. Uh, so usually, um, I think we've all probably heard this term in the past, you know, uh, some plants, they don't like to be babied. They want to be left alone and then they, they do great. The same thing is true for your soil. So, um, to, in conclusion here, uh, you know, you want to mimic nature. Everything that you touch in nature is interconnected, so all is one. Biology needs to be added to your fields. That should be one of the first things that you're looking at uh, when dealing with soil health. How much biology is there? Growing living roots 24-7, if at all possible. Diversity in your soil, covering your soil, using all your tools, not just one uh, to the detriment of the others. You know, mimic nature. And most importantly, we're all humans. We all have different ideas, um, different mindsets when it comes to agriculture. Maybe you just need to change your mindset. Maybe you just need to be open to trying something new. Farmers as a whole are a very stubborn part of the population. Uh, I can attest to that because I deal with farmers a lot. Um, but change your mindset. Be open to that change. So build it and they will come. It's not just a cliche phrase. It is, it is reality when it comes to agriculture and farming. So as I told you, uh, I have some resources listed there. Uh, it's probably kind of small up on the screen. Uh, so uh, the resources, they will, or all this PowerPoint will be listed on Audioverse. Uh, and then these are some soil and weed books um, that are part of my personal library that I use um, on a yearly, if not monthly basis sometimes uh, to try to figure out what's going on with my soil. All right, so that covers it for what I have. And amazing, you all get to get out of here on time. Oh, I don't have it listed here. Yep. Yeah, so um, I would have to look up, uh, look back in my notes. I have another book on weeds that specifically tells what, what the weed is, why it's there, you know, what's going on with the soil and why it grows. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not something that you want to you want to add to your soil for sure. Um, okay, so she was asking um, what uh, what books um, talk about the weeds and and what weeds grow in different types of soils and whatnot and how, what they are telling you. Uh, and so um, I brought her back to this uh, this slide here. Uh, because I have some, some books specifically dealing with weeds um, that help to answer that question. Yes? Okay, so <clears throat> when I was talking about that, yes, you're correct. You can get molasses from wherever, liquefy it. Uh, if you go to most ag supply stores, like if you have a co-op, if you have tractor supply or... Oh, I was wondering why the screen was moving. Um, some other places like that, 
uh, you can find uh, liquid calcium there. They will also have a soluble form of calcium, uh, but they'll have liquid calcium there, and then you can just mix the two of them and put it out to your field. Where is it? Uh, most uh, ag supply stores, like if you have a, a farmer's co-op, uh, tractor supply, different places like that, Worst case scenario, you could probably uh, go online and have it shipped to you, but then you're dealing with the cost of shipping. Generally speaking, what I've used has been a blackstrap molasses. Organic? It can be. Um, it doesn't have to be. I just go to my local, I have a local feed store um, that's run out of the back of a farmer's barn. And so I just tell him, hey, I need blackstrap molasses. And he gives me a two-gallon container and off I go. So, yeah. Okay. So crimp, crimping the cover crop is best done if you have a cereal cover crop. So like I was mentioning, let's say you have that six foot tall cereal rye. Uh, you go along um, with, usually it's done with a tractor and it has a roller crimper on the front or the back of it. And so all you're doing is you're laying down that, that cover crop. You're breaking the stem of whatever plant is growing there. And when you break the stem, the plant slowly begins to die. You've broken its nutrient cycling ability to go up and down, and the plant will die, uh, but it will remain intact on the, on the surface of the ground until the soil organisms begin to eat away at it. Uh, so it's a good way to prevent weeds from growing because you can plant directly into that dead, quote-unquote, dead plant matter, and uh, it reduces your weeding uh, needs. Uh, you can heat it up. Uh, depending on you know how much it was, you know you can you, you, uh, then just take take like a small amount of it. You know, put it in a pot on the stove. Um, yeah, just just heat it up, turn it into. Well, on that specific slide, uh, I had it as two gallons, so two gallons of molasses, two gallons of calcium mixed together, and then uh, added to your field. No, it doesn't have to be a specific calcium. You know, I've, I've used um, NutriCal, uh, which is a, a nitrogen calcium-based fertilizer uh, because the two, those two nutrients will uh, help each other to absorb, help, or they'll help the plants to absorb each of those two nutrients better. Um, but I've used that before. You can get, you know, just a, a straight calcium uh, from um, pretty much any, any ag supply store uh, will do the job. Yes, ma'am. Uh, you can, you can, uh, as far as the, the, the mole or the, the vole problem is concerned, excuse me, um, you, can, you can do a couple of different things. One would be uh, if you find their holes, give them some nice good poison. Yeah, Un, uh, if, if they're under the ground, I don't remember the name of this tool. Uh, but if you go to Tractor Supply or, or some of these other ag supply stores, it's a vibrating stick is, is the best way I can describe it. It's about a, maybe a f 10 inches long. You can get battery-powered, solar-operated, and you just pound it into the ground, and it'll emit a vibration every, I think you can set it to like maybe every five minutes, every minute, etc. And those vibrations, the moles, the voles, they don't like the vibration happen. You know, they think, oh, something's coming to eat me. So it drives them out. I had that problem when I did strawberries uh, five years ago or something. And I forget the range that they had for those sticks, but I was able to put two sticks, one on opposite ends of my field, 
and that cleared out the vol problem for me. So, yeah, like I said, I can't remember the name of the tool itself, but if you, if you go there and talk to them, uh, you can find it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely use Red Clover. Um, it, it works great. The difference between white and red is that red has more biomass. It gets bigger. It's a bigger plant. The white clover, uh, you know, it maybe gets that high off the ground and that's it. So with your white clover, you can plant into it. You know, I can, I can have a, if, it's, if that's my cover crop on my 30-inch bed, I can plant my peppers, my tomatoes in that, and I know that the clover is not going to super exceed the size of my plants as they're growing. The red clover, clover yeah, it probably would. Yeah, you can do a raised bed um, if you have a lot of rocks there. Uh, you could also try to you know, remove some of the rocks. Uh, that may be feasible, it may not be. Um, but in that case, you know, just really focus on adding you know, different types of organic matter. You know, build up that soil. Um, and it, if, if you add the biology to the soil over time, it will begin to change and fix itself. Um, especially like with the, uh, with the earthworms. Um, they will, because they cycle the soil and whatnot, um, if you have rocks in the soil, uh, the biology in the soil will start to take whatever you add to it and they'll eat it and that'll convert it into soil and it will slowly begin to change the soil and bury those stones. But it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah, but yeah, I think, you know, if, you, if, you're wanting, if you're wanting a quick fix solution, definitely go for a raised bed, bring in soil and do it that way, but then continue working on, on, on your actual ground soil and it, it will change over time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.